At Speedway, we've always been here to get you what you need when you need it. We're committed to keeping our stores open, clean, and safe, so you can stay fueled and refreshed all summer long. We've got cold drinks for hot days and frozen drinks for even hotter ones, plus energy boosts, quick bites, and pick-me-ups. We're always on your way, and we're always here for you. So no matter what you need, when you stop by, we'll be ready. Now buy any three cooler beverages and get 500 bonus Speedy Rewards points. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the start of another week. Well, I guess today's the second day of the week. You know, it always confuses me, the whole Sunday's the first day of the week thing. Nonetheless, we shall endeavor to have a great show for you. And we got it. Well, okay, first of all, I want to start here. Who knew Wilford Brimley was still alive? I'm sorry. I, I, I just, I heard the news over the weekend. Wilford Brimley died and, and I had to go check and see if I had like, gone back in time. I had no idea the man was still alive. I mean, I, I, I felt like I needed to eat oatmeal this morning just for Wilford Brimley. Um, I, that, I had no idea. I mean, the man was, gosh, he was like apparently 50 years old when Cocoon, he looked ancient. I mean, apparently he was 84 years old. I thought he was 84 years old when he did the firm. I, I had no idea. Um, God bless. It, 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 you know, what, what's so striking is just the your perceptions of people. Like my, my grandmother was permanently old. It, it, does not re, it, it doesn't really register with me that at one point my grandmother was young. Uh, I, I always connect her with, with being elderly, even though there was a time that she was not. Uh, or, or watching my parents age or watching myself age or my kids grow up. You, you just, you're, you're kind of, your associations with time and space are connected in ways that, that are hard to change, I guess. I just always connected Wilford Brimley with being an 80-year-old, and he only just was an 80-year-old. Just amazing. Okay, if, if you're a regular listener of this program, you know uh, about the TikTok situation because I have been talking about it uh, well before it became a news headline. What should have happened this weekend that did not happen is every year I do an annual conference. I, I do a resurgent conference every year. Uh, and it is always the first weekend in August. And this year we were going to do it. The president's team wanted the president to come um, and... We were going to make a big deal out of it, but then we started talking to the White House about the logistics of doing it and realized, well, we would be wedged between two conventions and certain people wanted uh, us to use them for exclusivity if we were going to do it with the president there, and that would have driven up costs, and it just became all uh, really convoluted I, I, to some degree, and this is not a, a fault of, of the president or the White House, but I just kind of felt like I was being shaken down to some degree by some of the people who decided if the president was going to be there, they absolutely had to be involved or else, and I wasn't going to be hijacked, and I didn't want to turn it into a, a campaign rally. And then logistically with the White House as well, it became very difficult uh, wedging between to the Republican convention and the Democratic convention. Well, no one even saw COVID on the horizon. Uh, so thankfully now uh, we decided not to do it this year, but it, it should have been done this year. Uh, and it would have been this weekend. And last year's conference was in Atlanta. And one of the discussions we had last August was about TikTok, the app TikTok. Uh, and TikTok is a a communist Chinese communist espionage tool, and there is bipartisan support for getting rid of it. You don't believe me? Listen to Chuck Schumer. 
I have been very opposed to TikTok. I was one of the first to expose the Chinese links. And I have urged that TikTok be closed down in America. There's a new proposal. Mnuchin and Meadows brought it up yesterday to have Microsoft take it over. There are some questions that have to be answered. How will the data be stored and secured? Do the Chinese, will still the Chinese have links into TikTok? So before I would be for such a merger, I'd have to get some answers to these questions. That is uh, Chuck Schumer, who he is right in fairness. He he was one of the first people to come out and say there was a problem. Uh, Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska, was another one to come out very early on and say there was a problem. Here is the Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mnuchin. Let me be clear. I can't comment on specific discussions that the committee or I have had with the president. What I will confirm is because TikTok acquired a U.S. company, it was subject to CFIUS jurisdiction. The CFIUS committee unanimously made a recommendation. That's one alternative which could force a sale. The president, as I said, can also use IEPA, as he's discussed. And there is enormous bipartisan support. We are not keeping TikTok in its current form where the app can send back information and location on 100 million Americans. So let me, he's such a wonk when it comes to this sort of stuff. Let, let, let me explain the problem with TikTok. Now, you should understand there, it's it's very funny. Uh, there are a number of New York Times uh, reporters, I guess, uh, that they're, they're not very good, um, but they, they write about technology. They're super woke. And they are all upset about TikTok influencers losing their influence if TikTok goes away. It is amazing to me that the very same people who can write about how billionaires are bad and there are too many of them love the idea of kids getting uh, lavishly wealthy off of doing stupid things on the Internet. Nonetheless, uh, they are. So TikTok, for those of you who don't know what TikTok is, it is an app, an app that you can't actually access at my house. I have blocked it. Um, Our kids don't use it. Uh, ironically, our kids watch TikTok videos on YouTube, uh, but uh, it is an app where you can do uh, people can make short little humorous uh, sketches. Uh, they don't last for for very long and uh, maybe 15 second clip. And people have gotten very famous on this. They become influencers on this. They can sell cosmetics or drinks or or protein powder among the the, the guys, the, the the physical fitness enthusiasts, and uh, different products. And and they can make a name for themselves. And they can get huge followings on TikTok. And they become influencers, and they make a lot of money. People pay them to advertise their products. And there's a problem. TikTok has been purchased by the Chinese and they hired a former executive from Disney to run the company to say that uh, there's nothing nefarious happened, but you can't really believe them when it comes to China. Here's what we know for certain about TikTok. TikTok can route your video streams through China, through their servers. In addition, many people on TikTok give it permission for their location. So you're sending their location information and their microphones to China, to servers that are behind the Great Firewall of China, which means they are directly accessible by the Chinese military. Essentially, what China has done is built an espionage blackmail app on America's youth, so when they get old and prominent, uh, China has blackmail material on them. You're sending dirty photos as as a high schooler behind the firewall uh, in in China with TikTok. Well, guess what? They're going to be exposed one day or you're going to do what China wants. 
But more importantly than the hypothetical future wildcard is the location information and beyond the location information, hackable information. So Apple just updated its, uh, or it's got forthcoming an iOS update, iOS 14. And one of the things that Apple is increasingly focused on is privacy and privacy concerns. And it's why, the, though I've got a lot of reservations about Apple and its dealings with China, I tend to trust Apple more than the other tech companies because Apple is highly focused on, on privacy. And they're using privacy as a selling point to distinguish themselves from Google, which wants your information to resell it, uh, you, as a, you as a product. Apple, is their segment of the market is to make everything very, very private, and it's hard for the government to access you. If your your phone falls into the government's hands, it's hard for the government to unlock it. If they try too many times to unlock it, your phone automatically erases. Uh, your, your data is not for sale. Apps can't trade information with each other, except they put in this thing where a clipboard, you can copy something out of an app, put it into a clipboard, a, a virtual clipboard, and then paste it into another app using standard computer copy and paste, but on your iPhone. Well, when Apple updated to iOS 14, one of the things that they did is they required notifications. If an app takes advantage of your clipboard, you get to see what the app is doing. And it turns out that if you copy stuff to your clipboard, when you open TikTok, everything you've copied to your clipboard is transmitted to China. And they said it was a bug, but nobody really believes them that it's a bug. They seem to be the, the there were several, um, several apps that did this somewhat, but TikTok did it the most. And so let's do a hypothetical. You, you copy your bank account into your clipboard and then you paste it into a text message to your wife so she has the account number or something. You, you do a secure message to your wife through iMessages on your, your Apple uh, iPhone or or you, you do it in Signal or Wicker or something that's secure and send it to your wife. Well, then you open TikTok. Well, your account number to your bank is automatically transmitted to China. There's no way for you to stop it. So China now has your bank account. Uh, let, let's say you do a password. Well, China gets your password. You, you, you do a website. China does the website. You, you, you write private medical information in your notes and you copy it uh, so that you can uh, text it to your doctor's office. China now has your medical records that you just typed. That's what's been happening with TikTok. It, it is a massive surveillance scam by China. Now, TikTok, of course, not only very forcefully pushes back against this, but has been hiring American lobbyists. And and I uh, allegedly some group is paying attention and is documenting all of the Republicans and Democrats in Washington that TikTok has hired. TikTok has been able to hire a lot of Democrat and Republican lobbyists, people who worked for Republican members of Congress and Democratic members of Congress, and they're trying to beef up their game on Capitol Hill. And no one's really buying it. Uh, they're said, oh, we're going to create 10,000 jobs, things like this. We keep this many people employed. They're trying to make the case for survivability. The problem is that as long as they're tied to China, no one really cares because we increasingly know that what China is doing is they're taking our First Amendment freedoms and trying to jujitsu move, turn them against us uh, so that China can take advantage of our free speech. The things we might say on the internet now that could come back to haunt us 20 years from now, look at how cancel culture is working right now where they're going back and they're finding things you did 15 
15 years ago trying to drive you from your job for things you did when you were 13 and 15 years later you're all grown up you're, you're 28 years old and and you must be canceled because of something you did when you were 13 on the internet that's what TikTok is going to do to kids 15 years from now and so there is a bipartisan effort to get rid of it the president was going to issue orders to shut it down altogether Microsoft came forward and said, we can we can do this, we can buy it. But as Chuck Schumer rightly pointed out, we still have to see, are the Chinese going to have access to the servers? Will data flow through China? This is, by the way, one of the problems people have had with Zoom. It turns out Zoom was routing a lot of your calls through Chinese servers. So China could theoretically access your private Zoom conversations. There is a huge problem with American companies diverting uh, your resources to China. There are two companies that guarantee do not do that, um, Facebook and Apple. Facebook and Apple do not use Chinese servers. Now, Apple does, but only if you live in China. Otherwise, your Apple data is never, ever routed through China. Your Facebook never routes through China. Facebook has nothing to do with China because it doesn't want China to have access to its servers. And if it operated in China, it would have to give access uh, Chinese access to its code and its servers. So Facebook refuses to to operate in, in China. Twitter lets the Chinese propaganda ministers come on Twitter every day. And, and Google, of course, has wanted collaborative re- relationships with China. This is another way of saying not every tech company is the same here. You got to be careful. TikTok, however, is one of the worst. If your kid is using TikTok, it's probably time to get your kid off TikTok, frankly. The Chinese are building opposition research on your child. Not only that, but they probably can access your microphone, and they definitely are accessing your location, and they're accessing your clipboards. It is a Chinese espionage app. Uh, I have talked to uh, members of the United States Senate in the House who have gotten classified briefings on this stuff. They can't tell me what all they learn, mind you, but they tell me it's significant enough that most members of Congress prohibit their kids from accessing TikTok. If members of Congress don't want their kids accessing TikTok, maybe you shouldn't be accessing TikTok and maybe you should be getting it off your kids' uh, phones as well. What the most hilarious part of this though are the New York Times reporters, what are going to happen to the TikTok influencers? This is so terrible. I mean, the, 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 the kids who are on TikTok making money are devastated, but there's another moral of the story here. And pay attention to this one, please. If you make your claim to fame on someone else's platform, they own you. If you can't be successful but for that other platform, you're not actually successful. If you're dependent on Snapchat or YouTube or Vine or Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or anything else to make you fame and fortune, you are actually a pawn in their scheme and you have no independence. If you really want to be an influencer, actually try to influence the world off those platforms and see how far you get. Because you may be making a whole lot of money, but the moment that platform changes, you come crashing down. Diversification is key in life and in the internet influencer sphere. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, if you want to be a part of the program. Can I just dwell for a moment on, I hate the term influencer, and allegedly I am one. Um, I I just, I I got no time for it. it. It's just, it seems very silly, the idea... Uh, that you should go on to social media and find other people uh, who influence your life. Now, uh, to a degree, 
I realize everybody is out there trying to find trusted people. I, you know, a lot of the people like, so if I, so, okay, let, let, let me, let me use a, a real world example. Omaha steaks. Uh, I actually advertise with them on my other show, not this one. Um, I need to get them on this show. I, I actually am a customer of Omaha steaks. I, when I was in college or law school one now, I can't remember. Um, I would, I, I regularly bought people gifts from Omaha Steaks. And I honestly, I think it was because of Sean Hannity. I was listening to Sean Hannity or maybe it was Rush who was uh, pitching Omaha Steaks. And I thought, well, I, I need to get a nice gift for someone if if they're, you know, I just naively, foolish me, I, I actually really did think that everybody was like Paul Harvey, that that if you, if you were advertising something, you must be a fan of it. And little did I know uh, how it actually worked. It's all theater of the mind. Uh, but I did, and, and Omaha Steaks is great. Uh, in fact, if you go to omahasteaks.com today and you put Eric in the search bar, E-R-I-C-K, you can find their Grand Summer Grill Out package, and you can get bacon-wrapped fillets that I actually get. You can get chicken that I actually get, caramel apple tartlets. I don't like them. My wife loves them. Uh, you can get the sausages. You can get hamburgers. It, it's actually a great deal. I think it's like 99 bucks, and you get enough to feed an army. Well, you know, I went to Publix yesterday, and they were out of ground beef by the time I got there. Uh, you can go to you can go to, go to Omaha Steaks and get ground beef. Uh, you know, so I use them. Now, I also I love Porter Road, and I I love Snake River uh, Snake River Farms. If I want to get select cuts, you know, the greatest place is M and T. I, I don't care where you are in Georgia. Those of you in Dalton, Rome, uh, Blue Ridge, uh, and, and the and the like, y'all listen to me. There's a butcher shop in South Georgia. Get your Yeti cooler and drive down there. It's called M and T. It's in Hawkinsville, Georgia. It is the greatest butcher shop you will ever encounter on the face of the earth. In fact, Philip and I have been saying we're going to go down there after the show one day. I, I need to actually do that with him. Um, but it's incredible. And I'll go down there and lo- load up a Yeti cooler full of full of meat. They vacuum seal it while you're there, and you can come back, bring it home, put it in your freezer. But I like Omaha Steaks. Um, it, but the idea that, that I, I guess everybody wants an influencer now. And you go online and you find the guy who apparently, this is the crazy thing. So my wife and my daughter both follow some dude who's all into makeup on, like, yeah, uh-huh. And, um... And and this this guy's apparently an influencer, and, and then they pay attention to some other woman who who does arts and crafts stuff, and and you pay attention to people who seem to be experts who develop this following, who are very good online, and, and away you go. We I guess, uh, the, the, but it just there's just something about the influencer economy though that just seems it, it's surreal to me, and and I get it. I guess technically I'm part of it. I have a verified Instagram account. Instagram is the hardest uh, hardest app to get verified on. And here I am verified on Instagram, and I the, the whole thing is just very weird to me. I don't know. I, I guess I finally hit that age. I, I hit 45, and now I'm like, seriously, an influencer economy that the young millennials, I, I was talking to a guy the other day uh, who who his kid has made millions of dollars off YouTube. Or, or look at the Dude Perfect guys. My kids, I like Dude Perfect. They are awesome. Uh, good Christian guys who, who do trick shots and stuff, and, and they've developed the following. They've got real talent. And you see, here's the thing with them. If YouTube closed down tomorrow, I have no doubt in my mind that the Dude Perfect guys could transcend and, and, and move over to another app. They could get a TV show. They could do any of that stuff. But then you've got your average TikTok influencer who's just kind of a a, a, a kid who made a funny video whose career exploded, but... Are they really that influential? I, I no, I, I don't think they are. And yet they 
they have this cult following. The the whole influencer thing is just weird to me. The, you should follow me on Instagram, though. It, it, you can see clips from the show. You can also see what I'm cooking because you know I like to cook. Uh, you can do all that stuff if you go to Instagram.com. I'm E.W. Erickson everywhere. Uh, it's either if you if you go on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and E.W. Erickson, that's me. You should follow me on Instagram because you like me better there. Um, but it, it's still, it's it's a bizarre thing, um, this influencer economy. When we come back, uh, let's get away from the influencers in TikTok and this debate over burning down the GOP. Peggy Noonan has weighed in, and man, the, the, the Never Trump Project Lincoln people are really upset with her. But here's the thing. She's not wrong when you actually get down to it. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, and the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You're going to have to wait for a moment on, on the burning down the GOP thing because I just saw this article during the break from Amber Athey at uh, The Spectator. And I, it, it's, it's something I wanted to, to talk about and then forgot that I wanted to talk about it. So now I'm glad that she wrote this. It's from the other day, from Friday, I guess. No one would argue that Representative John Lewis doesn't deserve a proper memorial. He was a civil rights icon and a long-serving member of Congress who was beloved by his colleagues. In the middle of a pandemic, however, how do we decide who gets the pomp and circumstance of a traditional burial and who has to watch their loved one go six feet under via Zoom call? Funerals are important. They acknowledge the sanctity of life and allow friends and family to come together to grieve their loss. This reality doesn't change based on how famous or revered an individual was to the general public. It doesn't hurt any less to say goodbye to someone who was just a dad or just someone's child or just a dear friend. Their lives aren't any less significant, yet politicians have decided that celebrity affords them the right to override the onerous restrictions on funerals that so many average Americans have been forced to accept. Georgia is unique in that it allows anyone to have a funeral. However, the governor's executive order prohibits gatherings of more than 50 people if social distancing cannot be maintained. Photos of Lewis's funeral in Atlanta showed that many more than 50 people attended and that social distancing was not maintained in parts of the church nor during the burial outside. Even if social distancing is possible, the National Funeral Directors Association strongly recommends funerals be limited to immediately fa immediate family and close friends of the decedent. The Georgia Department of Public Health Funeral Guidance says at the same time, a significant number of attendees traveled from out of state to attend the funeral. 50 members of Congress, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi, attended. Mayor Muriel Bowser issued a mandatory two-week quarantine for anyone who travels to Washington, D.C. from a coronavirus hotspot. Georgia was one of the states designated as a hotspot on a list released by the D.C. government on Monday. Nevertheless, Pelosi flitted around the Capitol all day Friday, almost gloating about her freedom from the rules. If politicians are above the restrictions that apply to the rest of us, perhaps they could at least successfully negotiate a COVID relief package. How could any person who has lost a loved one during the pandemic see this blatant hypocrisy and not be incensed? I, I myself have multiple friends who have died, uh, a couple of whom have died from this virus. Uh, and I have not been able to attend funerals because of the situation. Uh, I, I have not been able to go uh, many places 
because of it, I, I got invited a while back. And, and you know that this is irony here. I, I got invited to take a trip a couple of week, weekends ago, left and, and have not mentioned it on air because uh, we're, we're at this point now where people just want to dance on your grave. You, you travel and, and you do something. And then you get the virus and you die. People are going to dance. Look what happened to Herman Cain. Herman Cain uh, went to the Trump rally in Tulsa, wasn't wearing a mask, uh, got COVID-19. He did not get it from the rally. Those close to him know where he got it from. There's no reason to rehash it. It would just be assigning blame for his death somewhere. There's no need to do that, but it wasn't from the rally. He also had cancer. Uh, and yet the media wanted to dance on his grave and, oh, he didn't wear a mask. I mean, that's how Reuters noted his death. Herman Cain, presidential candidate who didn't wear a mask, dies of COVID-19. That was their tweet. So I I, I took a trip. Uh, I, I wore a mask on the airplane. I wore a mask uh, while I was gone. I was in a coronavirus hotspot. I kept hand sanitizer with me, avoided crowds, uh, went and did what I was invited to, to go do, shoot guns, uh, and got on an airplane and came home and was virus free. But you got to wait until you get out of that 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 14 day window or so to start telling people because, oh, my gosh, otherwise you're going to get blamed and people are going to dance on your grave. Oh, I got the virus. He did what he shouldn't have done. Nope. Well, now I'm well outside the window, had no symptoms, didn't get the virus. I'm fine. And, and, and people are people are crazy. People are mean, the mean spiritedness. And on top of the mean spirit in this, you do have this, what Amber Athey is talking about here. You've got a double standard. The New York Times is shaming people for being outside. Uh, The New York Times over the weekend had another story about people who were congregating on beaches and outside activities. They were shaming Southerners for going outside. There actually isn't any evidence of viral spread uh, from social distancing outside. You know, some of the pictures they, they see with, with telephoto lenses, the crowd looks very compressed when, in fact, they're socially distanced. There actually were articles about the number of people going out camping. And don't they know that that if they're all out in, in the national parks together, they're going to get the virus? There's something, something depressing about the media being in on this uh, the media isn't on so much of this stuff these days that they're not honest brokers. And here come these funerals, massive gatherings for celebrities and famous people. You're not allowed to have a funeral for your parent or your child. You're not allowed to go to the funeral of a friend or, or coworker. And yet they can have a massive funeral for a famous person. The level of hypocrisy is stunning. And it should foster resentment. It actually should foster resentment. Uh, it, 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 is, it is upsetting to see so many people attend these funerals who believe you can't gather together with your loved ones. And I do think, I, I, I genuinely think that you are going to have more and more people say, to heck with this. I do think you're going to have a lot of people who would otherwise follow the rules who will look at what's happening and they're going to say, very much like they did after the Black Lives Matter protest at the beginning of June, say, well, if if none of these people have to follow the rules, why do I have to follow the rules? If none of these people have to socially distance and wear masks, why do I have to socially distance and wear masks? And they're going to be right. 
And that's going to keep, frankly, uh, if, if we believe the science, it's going to, to keep the virus spreading. But how can you blame these people? I mean, seriously, how, how can you blame someone who sees a massive gathering for John Lewis and thinks, well, my God, I'm going to have a funeral for my dad? How can you see the New York Times shaming people for going to a beach and not calling out this sort of stuff and say, well, you know what, I'm going to go to the beach now. Or younger people, I'm going to go to a bar, I'm going to go to a nightclub. Now, the governor of Georgia has, has expanded his, his COVID-19 uh, restrictions. Bars and nightclubs, you're going to have a hard time getting in them, uh, get, given his restrictions and, and your music gatherings and stuff like that. But it, it's just it, the hypocrisy knows no ends now. I really can't blame people for deciding they got to make their own judgment because they're not getting the truth from the media. When you see what the media is doing with its double standard, you see the politicians and their double standards. You you see the celebrities and their double standards. You're not allowed to congregate. You're not allowed to mourn with, with a crowd for, for your loss, and yet they are. So you're just going to have to take matters into your own hands, and you're going to have to do what you think is best. Because you can't really believe these people because these people tell you to avoid crowds and they're not. These people tell you to avoid funerals and they're not. These people tell you to avoid the beach and they're not. These people tell you to, to avoid restaurants and they're not. Uh, why should you? And so there we are. And as a result, the viral spread. Although, you know, there are plenty of signs that, that we're over the hump even here in Georgia. Uh, we appear to be over the hump here in Georgia. Let me pull up the Georgia Department of Public Health stuff, uh, their website stuff. That's technical term. Yeah, I mean, we have plateaued in uh, the r- reported tests. With date of onset, there is a marked decline, uh, a, a, a total collapse in the 14-day window and the seven-day moving average uh, of cases, which is remarkable. The, the high was uh, the, the seven-day moving average was 4,110 on July 11th, uh, it is now uh, where the 70 moving average is, 2,813, so pretty significant drop. And the, the, the worry from some is that you're going to get comfortable, you're going to go outside, and the virus is going to start going back up. But I, I just, I'm I'm sorry, if, if these people don't think the rules apply to them, then I don't think the rules should apply to you. I mean, just take, for example, uh, those going back to Washington, D.C. The mayor of Washington imposed a quarantine on people coming into the city from other parts of the country that were considered hotspots. Georgia was one of those. You're supposed to be in quarantine. If you go to, back to Washington, D.C., the people who went to John Lewis's funeral and returned, the mayor's like, nah, quarantine doesn't apply to those people. It only applies to the rest of you. When the rules don't apply to the powerful and the connected, they really don't apply to anybody. And, you know, it, it's it's very much, there's plenty of sociological evidence that, for example, um, Take drug usage, for example. Specifically, uh, let's talk about cocaine usage. 
Cocaine is a, a highly addictive narcotic uh, that stimulates you, ultimately can lead to overdoses and kill you. It can stimulate you to such a degree that you have a heart attack. Uh, it is highly addictive, and it is the, the, the drug of the day for celebrities right now. Uh, the amount of people doing cocaine in this country has increased pretty significantly in the last decade. It, it was the drug of the late 70s, early 80s. It was the drug of choice for the Miami Vice period. Uh, TV shows were done about cocaine running, and then it kind of fell out of fashion for other things. And now it's come back on the celebrity circuit, and celebrities love their cocaine. I have been in more than one green room in the last couple of years where there have been uh, rumors about certain celebrities uh, snorting cocaine in those same green rooms prior to my arrival. And you know what? There are a lot of celebrities who will use cocaine, and they'll get away with it. They'll never get arrested for it, and they'll never have an overdose. And it becomes such a thing in their culture uh, that they can have kids out of wedlock and not get married. And they have lavish lifestyles and they can fund nannies and they can fund tutors. They can fund their drug habit. And then it trickles down in society to people who are less able and have less means. And they get on cocaine and they get addicted and they have overdoses and they die. They have children out of wedlock and their children are are morally uh, just, just depraved because they never had a, a father figure or a mother figure. They don't have the nannies. They don't have the tutors. The, the rich can afford to do a hedonistic, sinful lifestyle in the way the poor cannot. And yet the rich write, uh, write their rules and apply their rules as if everyone is just like them with no recognition of the fact that the lower you go on the income scale, the less able you are to afford these sorts of things. You know, I'll never forget one time. So when I was just starting out in, in – um, when I was just starting out in politics and had made a name for myself to some degree, I was on CNN at the time. Uh, my wife and I, I was uh, she had left her job. I was the sole income earner. Uh, was making very low six digits, uh, right, right around a hundred thousand a year. We had a lot of debts, uh, and I, I was encountering people who were significantly richer than I am. And, and frankly, there was there was a lot of envy there. There, there was a lot of covetousness there, uh, a lot of jealousy. And I mean, they, these were people either their parents were very wealthy or they had become very wealthy. And I'll never forget one time. Uh, so one of them suggested that uh, my wife and I, and then our, our daughter, who was was two at the time, I guess, uh, that we should come out to Aspen to go skiing. I've I've never been snow skiing in my life. And this person suggested we come out to Aspen, uh, and don't worry about it. That that they have a house, uh, and their house has a ha has a guest house, and we can stay at the guest house, and it's no big deal. Well, you know, one of the most expensive places to fly in the wintertime is is Aspen, Colorado. And I couldn't afford the flight. There, there was no way. I, I even, even economy, I could not afford for the three of us to go to Aspen. And I was commenting to this person, and and the person just was like, "Oh, I, I didn't realize it was expensive to fly to Athens or to, to Aspen, not Athens, to Aspen." And I said, "Really? <laughs> Do you drive?" No, they take their parents' jet. They take their parents' jet. Uh, I have still never been to Athens or to Aspen. Aspen, I've got Athens on my mind because of football. Uh, Aspen, Colorado. I've never been to Aspen, Colorado. 
And, and this person who, who I am friends with, I, I, I adore this person, but this person lives at an income level and, and a lifestyle that I can aspire to. And maybe one day if the show takes off in syndication, I'll be able to get there. But right now, no. Uh, and, and then definitely not. We, we couldn't we couldn't afford to go. We couldn't afford even to, to rent the skis and stuff if we went. And, and this person completely oblivious to the fact that the, what the cost would be for someone to go to Aspen. And that's much as so many of the people who write the laws and set the policies and, and set the cultural mainstream are at a level where they're actually completely out of touch with that culture and the law. So they can go have the funeral and think, oh, well, this guy deserves it. Your dad doesn't deserve it. This guy does. The quarantine doesn't apply to me because I'm an important person and, and I can do drugs and have kids out of wedlock and the rest of you can't do it. it, it the whole thing screws up society. We should not be letting those people most out of touch with society set the norms for society. That's what we do. And frankly, that's what you do with your TikTok influencers too. You allow yourself to be influenced by people completely devoid and out of touch with culture around you. And it happens more and more. And, and it, it is bad for society when a cultural elite out of touch with the rest of society are the ones who set the norms for society because then increasingly society itself is not normal. And yet that's where we find ourselves these days. Well, this one's a little creepy, uh, you know, so I was I was on city council for a term in Macon before the city and county consolidated. And I, I can tell you without any hesitation, local politics is nastier than national politics. It has always been nastier. It will always be nastier. And, and, and nothing is going to change. Um, and, and part of it is because you're all in the community together. And uh, so when when stuff happens, is stuff stuff. I mean, it, it just wow. It's and well, <laughs> I, I say this because I got a I got a press release this morning, and I've actually seen the the police report, and I'm I'm stunned. You know, occasionally you, you get people who run for office. And you're like, seriously, you think you can win? And, and sometimes they surprise you. Um, you know, up in Rome, John Cowan is unloading all of the Marjorie Taylor Greene baggage right now. Um, it's just, I have tried to, that race has gotten so gross. I've just, I, I've avoided it. Um, and then you've got the, uh, you've got the Matt Gertler race, um, against, um, uh, uh Andrew Clyde up in Northeast. I I'm for Gertler. I I've endorsed him. Uh, I just, I think the world of Matt Gertler and, and it, a, a young guy who's willing to defy the cool kids is, is somebody you should vote for. And that's Matt Gertler. Uh, he's willing to stand up and say no to the leaders. Um, then that's why if I lived up there, I'd be supporting, him. but this one, so in Macon, this is, so there's a guy running for County commission in Macon, uh, Carlton kitchens, a 16-year-old high school girl filed an incident report against him claiming that he kissed her and called her his girl when he was a substitute teacher. I've actually read the police report on this one. Uh, it resulted in him being banned from substitute teaching from the campus of Westside High School. Uh, he's been banned from three separate schools in Bibb County over the course of seven years. My good, and it makes you wonder uh, what on earth is going on. So now Seth Clark is his opponent uh, who has, has um, is taking it. You know, I got to give credit to Seth Clark, who's running for the county commission against this guy for um, being the one to push it out himself and taking credit for it. But man, I got to read you. This is the um, Bibb County Public Schools Campus Police Department major case report. 
I'm reading directly from the, the police officer's report uh, from Westside High School from the chorus room. Uh, a student at Westside High School was at an after-school activity in the chorus room rehearsing for a show that is to be performed on Black History Day. Carlton Kitchens, a substitute teacher at Westside High School, was in charge of the rehearsal. Uh, the student told Mr. Rozier that she asked Mr. Kitchens if she could be the lead singer of a song. She said Mr. Kitchens told her to come to him. While she was near to Mr. Kitchens, she said Mr. Kitchens put his arm around her, kissed her on the ear, kept pressure on her shoulder, pulling her closer to him. She said Mr. Kitchens told someone that else that no one should mess with the girl because the girl was his girl. And she wrote a statement. All that stuff is dying. And, and, you know, so this is, you know, they, they lament the the death of local media. Uh, you, you read the New York Times, the Washington Post, the like. They lament the death of local This is what they're talking about. I, I don't know that anyone in the local media has actually reported on the story, but uh, you got a guy running for the county commission in Bibb County banned from three separate schools over the course of seven years. And this was apparently not the first time the school system talked to the guy. Just bizarre. And why do people like this decide that they're going to run for all? You know, I mean, honestly, this is the, the, the crazy thing to me. The, the people who they run for office and they've got real skeletons in their closet and they just think that, well, no one's ever going to drag these things out. And then they get brought out and they're kind of surprised. It's just kind of bizarre. Um, I just, just genuinely bizarre. Now we don't know the names of the kids involved. They're redacted from the police report because of their age at the time. But, uh, man, local politics, uh, it just, it never ceases to amaze me. I, I'm, you know, being from Louisiana, of course, there are all sorts of people who you run, they run for office and you're thinking, seriously, that guy's going to run. And then inevitably they win. I mean, for God's sakes, uh, David Duke, who's been banned from Twitter, by the way, Louis Farrakhan, you'll notice still on Twitter, David Duke is not. Uh, David Duke was nearly the governor of Louisiana. Or the, the yeah, he, he, I mean, everybody in Louisiana that I know voted for Edwin Edwards. Nobody liked Edwin Edwards, but they all had to vote for him because you couldn't let the, the grand dragon of the KKK win an election. Even George H.W. Bush, then president of the United States, a Republican, came and campaigned for the Democratic governor to keep that guy from getting elected. Uh, nowadays, everybody just wants to double down on their own side. They don't care about the skeletons in the closet. Well, I almost didn't make it back in time. Literally, the show had started, and I was still not at my desk to start the show. <laughs> Welcome. It's Eric Erickson. I ran into problems, so I like a little milk in my coffee. I'm from Louisiana. We have cafe all <laughs> I went and got the brand-new jug of milk out. I got it at the grocery store last week. Poured it into the coffee and the chunks floated to the top. Oh, I'm trying not to gag as I begin my program. Literally, I've just been in the other room in the kitchen pouring out the brand new gallon of milk that actually expired yesterday. And I didn't pay. I just got it last week at the store. I didn't even pay attention to the expiration date. And, you know, normally it lasts like a couple of, nope. This was already chunky milk. Oh, gross. Oh, what a way to start. So I'm a little bit caffeine deprived all of a sudden. I didn't get my other cup of coffee that I wanted. And I went to the grocery store last night. I was going to buy new milk. I, I I literally, I went to Publix last night. We were, we were out of town for the weekend and uh, came back in late yesterday, got to the grocery store at 7 o'clock. They were out of ground beef. Uh, they were out of pork chops. Uh, they were out of uh, milk. They were out of whole milk and 2% milk. Uh, they were out of eggs. It's like, uh, it, it, are people hoarding again? 
Are, are people hoarding again? Because everything is that, and that was just that was so. I mean, literally, it didn't even stink. That's the thing, is it didn't. I sniffed it. I always smell the milk just to make sure, and and there was no smell, but I poured it in, and chunks floated to the top. I I just little Miss Muffet can sit on her tub all she wants. I, I am I'm not uh, going near curds and whey for. No, that's just disgusting. Um, I didn't want cheese curd floating at the top of my milk. Put it to that way, or, or rotten, gross. That is too much information, is it not? We we need to get on with the rest of the show. Um, I, let me go to where I was gonna go, but now I got to pull up. I'm so discombobulated all of a sudden. Um, I, me and my child, I got to go over to Cathedral Coffee this afternoon, I guess, and and get me some extra caffeine. Um, all right, here we go. Peggy Noonan uh, has written a column over the weekend, and man, has it made a lot of people mad. Burn the Republican Party down, it would damage the country, and those who say yes bear some blame for the president's rise. That's the part that's making them mad. You know, there, there. so there's this, uh, the Lincoln Project Group, or Project Lincoln, whatever, not Lincoln Financial. Uh, they, so, it, okay. I have friends who are involved with the the Lincoln Project, and they and I we don't see the eye on eye to eye on this. I, I can't fault them uh, for for not liking the president, but if we're real honest about it, they're not actually. This is a group of Republican political consultants who want to take credit. Uh, for the work that other people are doing. They're really not buying a lot of ads. They're just trying to generate social media buzz because they want to get under the president's skin. And yet if he loses, and it looks likely, frankly, in the polling, except we'll get to the except here in a little bit, um, if he loses, they'll take credit for it when they really haven't done much to it. But one of the things they want to do is they want to go after Republicans in the Senate. Essentially, they want to completely hand the reins of government to the Democrats, the Senate included. They want to punish Republicans who they blame for not standing up for the president. So Peggy Noonan is writing about this. I want to read you some of her column. Where did Donald Trump come from? Where's the GOP going? Should the whole thing be burned down? A lot had to go wrong before we got a President Trump. This fact, once broadly acknowledged, has gotten lost as if a lot of people want it forgotten. Mr. Trump's election came from two-on-one wars, which constituted a historic foreign policy catastrophe, a great recession, which those in power, distracted by their mighty missions, didn't see coming until it arrived with all the wreckage. He came from the decades-long refusal of both parties' leadership to respect and respond to Americans' anxieties from left and right about illegal immigration. He came from bad policy and bad stands on crucial issues. He came from the growing realization of on-the-ground Americans that neither party seemed to feel any particular affiliation with or loyalty to them, that both considered them lumpen bases to be managed and manipulated, He came from the great and increasing social and cultural distance between the movers and talkers of the national GOP, its strategists, operatives, thinkers, pundits, and party professionals, and the party's base. He came from algorithms that deliberately excite, divide, and addict, and from lawmakers who came to see that all they had to do to ensure to endure was talk, not legislate, because legislating involves compromise, and in an era of grown, polar, and primitive compromises for quizlings. He came from a spirit of frustration among a sizable segment of the electorate that in time became something like a spirit of nihilism. It will be a long time repairing that and no one is sure how to. And here in that perfect storm was Mr. Trump's single momentary genius. 
he declared for president as a branding exercise and went out and said applause lines. And when the crowd cheered, he decided, this is my program. And when it didn't cheer, he thought, huh, that's not my program. Some of it was from his gut, but most of it was that casual. After the election, a former high official told me he observed it all from the side of the stage. This week, the official said that after a rally on the plane home, all Mr. Trump and Jared Kushner would talk about was the reaction. Did you see how they responded to that? The base, with its cheers, said they weren't for cutting entitlement benefits. They were still suffering from the effects of 2008. They weren't for open borders or for more foreign fighting. They were for the guy who said he hated the elite as much as they did. The past four years have produced a different kind of disaster, one often described in this space. The past six months, Mr. Trump came up against his own perfect storm, one he could neither exploit nor talk his way past a pandemic and economic contraction that will likely produce a lengthy recession and a prolonged, sometimes violent national street protest. If the polls can be trusted, he's on the verge of losing the presidency. Now, various of his foes in or formerly of his party want to burn the whole thing down, level the party, salt the earth where it stood, remove Republican senators and replace them with Democrats. This strikes me as another form of nihilism. Nihilism, nihilism, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. It's bloody-minded and not fully responsible for three reasons. Now, let me summarize her three reasons. Uh, first, it's true that the two-party system is a mess and a great daily frustration, but in the end, together and in spite of themselves, both parties still function as a force for unity. Second, if the Republicans lose the presidency of the House and the Senate in November, the rising progressive Democratic Party will be emboldened and present a bill for collection. And third, Donald Trump is burning himself down. Have you not noticed? Um, there, There is a great debate. Peggy Noonan is the latest to weigh in on this, on whether or not you need to destroy Republican senators and hand the Democrats the Senate. Here's the thing. If the Democrats, I believe, if they get to 56, 55, 56 senators, they're going to end the filibuster. Uh, and then you will see a great wave of progressive uh, spread. And then in two years, you won't actually see the end of Donald Trump. You will see the second coming of Trumpism. Uh, more emboldened than the first, uh, with, with people more articulate than the president himself as as the, the banner carriers for it. Uh, in, in essence, uh, what the Lincoln Project people want to do is in Trumpism, and by handing full control of government to the Democrats, they are going to expand it. They're essentially going to be miracle grow to Trumpism. You know, Here's the dirty little secret that a lot of people don't seem to realize, recognize, understand, or appreciate. A lot of the Republicans in the U.S. Senate and House who have become the most Trump-like privately acknowledge the man has major flaws and faults uh, and only do so publicly, the song and dance, because they know that's how you got to get things done with Trump. Uh, there's something we should all be a little bit upset about, the, the the number of people who have to get on a stage and sing and dance uh, karaoke show tunes uh, to please the president uh, to get anything done. That's that's not the way our democracy, our republic should function, and yet it is these days. Everyone's got to go out of their way to praise the president, if nothing else, to keep him on the sidelines, to, to keep him out of the way. That That's not a good or stable way for government to happen. It, it's very much like uh, in the purchase of TikTok, Microsoft is going out of its way to praise the president president for helping them initiate conversations when, in fact, Microsoft initiated conversations well before the president said anything. But you got to do it these days. And I realize that that is off-putting to some people. It's off-putting to some people to acknowledge. It's off-putting to some people uh, to, to, to realize it's happening. 
But let's let's deal with a lot of the people behind the scenes with the Lincoln Project. Steve Schmidt, for example, uh, was a was a uh, failed Republican strategist uh, who ran people for president unsuccessfully. Is now a talking head on MSNBC and tried to get a job with the Trump team and wasn't successful. Uh, many of the people who are involved behind the scenes are just as much political hacks as they claim that the president's people are mercenaries, if you will, uh, who will go to the highest bidder. And they didn't have an edge with Donald Trump. And, and that's part of the problem here is they've got to not just defeat the president and all of those members of the Republican Party in the Senate and, and start over so they can build the party in their own image because they're not really Democrats, but they have no future in the Republican Party. So the only way for them to have a future in the Republican Party is for them to destroy the entire thing and rebuild it in their own image. But the problem with rebuilding it in their own image is that they came from a Republican Party that the Republican base rejected. I mean, the people who ran uh, John McCain and Mitt Romney's campaigns really have no leg to stand on. Uh, many of the Republicans who went with Donald Trump in 2016 did so out of sheer frustration in 2008 and 2012 because you had Republican presidential candidates who they felt like weren't capable of fighting the Democrats. John McCain, you will recall, at the end of the campaign, decided to suspend his campaign during the recession and privately told some he was totally comfortable with Barack Obama having that historic moment and he wasn't sure he wanted to stand in the way of history. And that those campaign people are the ones who now want to tear down Donald Trump, the ones who wouldn't fight Barack Obama. Listen, y'all know my views on Donald Trump. I didn't vote for the man in 2016. And I, I, I get up these days, and, and as many days as I get up thinking, man, I got to vote for him to stop the left, I get up thinking, why do I even bother? But helping the Democrats... You know what the, the the real dividing line here is, if we're really honest, with the exception of a very few of them, most of them couldn't care less if you murder your child. And that's ultimately it. They're in it for money and they're in it for access and influence. They don't like Donald Trump because they don't have access to him. They don't have influence with him and they don't have money because of him. And so they found a way to to make money and to burn it all down and they couldn't care less whether you kill a child or not. That seems to be the the, the biggest dividing line these days uh, between the still never Trump and those like me who were and decided, you know what, maybe I won't vote, but if I do, I'm voting for Donald Trump because I got to stop the Democrats because they don't care whether or not children die. It's just not a big issue for them. There are people who I know who will not vote for Donald Trump. Uh, they do not like his character. They think character still counts, and they're not going to vote for him. And there are days I wake up, and I think I'm going to be one of them. I just, man, y'all, I wish he would just get off Twitter and, and like, stay in the background and let other people do stuff. There are people who will excuse everything Donald Trump does because he hates all the people that they hate, and they're willing to give him a pass on everything. Some of them are convinced that uh, this really is a government because the COVID nineteen really is a deep state conspiracy to destroy the presidency. I, I don't, I don't understand the people who think that. I relate more to the people who don't like him and don't want to vote for him, um, but want to preserve the GOP. I, I don't relate to the people who want to destroy him and the GOP, who claim to be Republican but want to destroy the Republican Party. But what these people need to understand is many of them were the consultants who put forward candidates who gave lip service to the base and didn't really mean what they were saying, and the base was smart enough. They don't think the people are smart, but the base was smart enough to recognize they were being had by these people. The heirs of John McCain really have no place in the future of the Republican Party. And it is the heirs of John McCain who now want to burn the whole thing down.
John McCain was rejected in 2000. Uh, in 2008, he became the nominee. That's what the Republican Party tends to do. Uh, they go with the, the 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 heir apparent. In 2002 or in 2000, it was McCain versus Bush. It went to Bush. So in 2008, it was McCain versus Romney. It went to McCain. In 2012, it was went to Romney. In 2016, the base had had enough. They decided to, to to fundamentally upend the nominating structure of the Republican Party, which has always gone to an heir apparent. I mean, go all the way back. In, in 1976, you had Ford versus Reagan in the primary and went to Ford. In 1980, it went to Reagan with, with George H.W. Bush as the outsider who became VP in 1988. It was uh, Dole versus Bush, and it went to Bush for Reagan. And in 1996, it finally went to Dole. In 2000, it went to George W. Bush versus McCain. In 2008, it went to McCain because Cheney didn't run. In 2012, it went to Romney, who challenged McCain in 2008. In 2016, it didn't go to any of them. The party had had enough. And the Democrats will get there eventually. But the idea that you should burn down a, a Cory Gardner or a Susan Collins who publicly does the stuff that everyone one is supposed to do these days and, and say nice things about the president while behind the scenes actually holding him accountable, it, it's absurd. Essentially, these are the same people. They've become Trumpified. You see, a lot of Trump's voters had enough of these guys with the Project Lincoln, Lincoln Project, whatever, uh, who publicly would tell them what they wanted to hear and privately laugh at the Hicks and Rubes and the pro-lifers. And they finally got a guy who said in public what he believed in private. Well, now these Project Lincoln guys want the same thing. They want someone who will say in public what they believe in private. If the pre you think the president's bad, say it in public. But, you know, here's the thing. They've always had a more nuanced view of politics, and now they've thrown their own nuance out. Donald Trump's greatest superpower is to make other people behave in the same way they claim he behaves. And this is exactly happening again. You're not going to burn down the Republican Party to save the Republican Party. What you're going to do is burn down the Republican Party to salvage your careers. And in other words, you're as self-interested as you believe Donald Trump's family is. You just don't want to acknowledge that you're largely a mirror image now of what you detest. At least be honest about it. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, it looks like Georgia, we're going to miss the tropical storm, which is going to sail on past us. It will get some great clouds, maybe a little bit of rain, particularly on the coast, but I can see out my studio window right now and I got blue sky. Let me see if I can pull up the coastal radar here. Yeah, yeah, there's some rain in the North Georgia area. Yeah, if you're up around Clarksville, uh, Hiawassee, Blairsville, you've got some rain um, up near, oh, it looks like it's going to be headed into Jasper. You got some rain. North Atlanta, there's a little bit, um, but now let's move over to the coast here. Let me zoom in my fancy radar app that I have. Yeah, no, nope, not a whole lot. Uh, just not a lot happening on the radar, despite having a tropical storm in there. Oh, okay, yeah. Right around the coast, yeah, the Brunswick area, y'all are getting a little rain. Uh, Savannah, you're getting some rain. Hilton Head, you're getting a little bit of rain. Ooh, you've had some rain there. But, yep, it's sailing up the coast. I can see it on the radar. It's a tropical storm, not going to become a significant weather event for anyone in Georgia. The far, far outer reaches of of rain, I guess you could say, are impacting parts of North Georgia right now. But 
those not really even connected to the storm at this point. Uh, so we're going to miss it. Uh, but, you know, hurricane season is upon us, and we've had so far a number of hurricanes, uh, but they've all been out at sea other than you had that one Hannah, I guess, uh, flew it, sailed on into Texas, but by and large missing us. Uh, we've still got months to go. Normally, you know, so our kids should be starting school this coming week or so. Uh, and they're not going to. It's going to be put off until the end of the month as, as everyone still scrambles. You know what's so interesting? So I've got a buddy of mine. He lives in Alexandria, Virginia. Goes to a, His kids go to a, a private school up there. And he was telling me, in fact, let me, let me pull up his note. Um, he was telling me that, let's see, um, the school has put money into a system that mixes hydrogen peroxide with the air conditioning to kill airborne germs. They've updated the air conditioning filtration system. They've got walk-through temperature check systems at the doors. They've done everything possible to allow them to open. The school is now cleaner and safer than my house. They're allowing kids to do virtual learning online for the first semester, and yet the local government may shut them down completely. I, I you know, I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this. I, I, I hadn't wanted to devote a lot of time to the virus today, but there actually is, there are some epidemiologists, like noted epidemiologists who the media has relied upon uh, routinely for this stuff who are speaking out pretty aggressively that uh, the media is essentially now focused on fear porn. They're calling it fear porn. Uh, that the media is scaring people and many local governments are making decisions that really aren't based in science right now. And we should probably review all of this and, and what does the science actually say? How does this shape up? Uh, where do we go with this stuff? Um, because there actually is some real science that should be able to help us decide what to do. In fact, there's a lot of real science that suggests we should be able to open schools. But then you've got stories like, have you heard the the um, the the kids camp up at Lake Burton? A bunch of the kids wound up getting COVID-19. Uh, now, most of them, I believe, were asymptomatic, but some of them were not and could spread it to their parents and others. And that's a there's a real concern there with with school and how it opens up um and, and a lot of the data for what actually goes on with kids and kid can kids get it but the media doesn't really even care about that anymore at this point it's what can they do to scare people and shame people and i don't know that we should be basing our public policy based on what can scare people and what can shame people. Uh, I, 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 I think we got a way to move forward in this if people actually want to move forward. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let me read you this out of the AJC. Um, this is from Scott Truby at the AJC. Some 260 cases of COVID-19 have been tied to attendees and staff at a North Georgia YMCA children's camp in June, according to a report released Friday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, one of the largest known super spreading events in the state. The report details how COVID-19 spread rapidly among children and teens within the camp and raises questions about the effectiveness of safety protocols as school districts and colleges contemplate reopening. YMCA Camp High Harbor 
identified in the report as Camp A, suffered an outbreak at its Lake Burton location in late June. As of July 10th, about 85 cases of the virus have been linked to the camp. The AJC previously reported a figure that has since tripled. The CDC study of 597 campers and staff from Georgia found the camp did not follow its guidance to require campers to wear masks, though the staff did. Three quarters of the 344 attendees and staff for whom the CDC was able to obtain test results tested positive for the virus. The CDC said the overall attack rate of the virus was 44%, though the agency acknowledged that an undercount, it's an undercount because it included more than 250 for whom they had no results. This investigation adds to the body of evidence demonstrating that children of all ages are susceptible to the coronavirus and contrary to early reports, may play an important role in its transmission. Brian Castrucci, the CEO of De Beaumont Foundation, a Maryland nonprofit that assists public health agencies, and a former Georgia epidemiologist, said the report's a warning for local school districts. Governor Kemp initially allowed day camps to open for the summer as part of the state's broader plan. An executive order in May later allowed overnight camps to operate, but outlined health and safety guidelines. Though many camps opted not to open, some including High Harbor did, A spokesman for the governor was not available for comment. Uh, Harry Hyman, a clinical associate professor at Georgia State University School of Public Health, said spread of the virus was growing in June. High Harbor followed the governor's executive order, the federal government said, but the camp did not follow CDC recommendations for universal masking of campers or for increased ventilation. Staff were required to wear masks. Relatively large cohorts sleeping in the same cabin and engaged in regular singing and cheering likely contributed to the transmission. Use of cloth masks, which have been shown to reduce the rate of infection, was not universal. The CDC said investigation is ongoing and will attempt to identify specific sources of exposure. Physical distancing is still necessary. The YMCA did not make anyone available for an interview, uh, but they regretted holding the camp according to a written statement. Now, the CDC study offers some caveats to the infection rate. Uh, Georgia suffered high rates of spread at the end of June. Some of the infections might have occurred prior to the camp. The report said of the 136 cases with symptom data, a quarter had no symptom. Of the three quarters reporting symptoms, fever, headache, and sore throat were the most common. The median age of the camper was 12 and staffer was 17. Seven staffers were between the age of 22 and 55. 51 kids, or roughly half of the children aged 6 to 10, tested positive. About 44% of kids aged 11 to 17 tested positive. A third of the remaining people, 18 to 59, tested positive. Cases of COVID-19 tend to be milder for children and young adults, but the disease isn't without risks. There have been 12,290 confirmed cases Uh, between children 5 and 17 in Georgia, 165 hospitalizations and one death. To date, 186,000 people in Georgia have tested positive out of millions tested, by the way. Now, uh, here's the biggest issue here. How do you do it? Well, first of all, uh, let's let's pay attention to some of the fear factor on both sides here. A quarter of the kids who got the virus had no symptoms and three quarters of them had symptoms and most of them had very mild sore throat, fever, headache symptoms. They still had symptoms and they can still pass the disease on. Now, here's something of note in the article, though. Uh, None of these, 
this this story does not have any follow-up research about the kids transmitting the virus to other family members. Doesn't mean it didn't happen, but also doesn't mean that it does. But there are a couple of things to pay attention to more than anything, particularly for those of you nervous about your kids going back to school. They were staying overnight in camps with poor ventilation, and this is key. And this is what increasingly the data is showing. If you if you're if you're running a school, make sure you have proper ventilation. Make sure the air is flowing and that it is constantly moving and make sure that it is able to be sanitized. Uh, for example, this this friend of mine uh, in Virginia, his school, now has a system in place that puts hydrogen peroxide, injects hydrogen peroxide into the airflow of the air intakes uh, to kill off the virus as it circulates. Because there is some concern about uh, air systems that just move the air around or moving the virus around and can move it from one classroom to the next and spread it. Uh, And if you are introducing hydrogen peroxide uh, vapor into the airstream, you can kill it. Also, UV lights. Uh, High-intensity UV lights and filtration in your air conditioning system work as well. A lot of, for example, the casinos in Las Vegas have put in these systems uh, that don't, they they do, some of them do hydrogen peroxide, some of them have high-intensity UV light, which is known to 100% kill the virus in all cases. The other thing is singing in, in close proximity. The kids are singing in close proximity with each other, and they're not wearing masks. Now, if you, my my kid, for example, likes choir, Um, choir can be a super spreader event in schools. The concerts can be super spreader events. Everybody needs to wear masks. Uh, And you're not going to get the young kids to wear masks, but the older kids certainly. Uh, Our our kids, for example, in their school, they're going to do mandatory masks in the hallways. Uh, That's where people are most likely to be uh, unable to socially distance. You're going to have to put a mask on before you go into the hallway. Uh, If they strictly enforce it, they should be okay. If you're washing hands, you should be okay. If you're checking people's temperature, you should be okay. There are ways to do this, And, and that's my point. I don't want to belabor the point. But there are ways to move forward here, and and so much of the media right now is scaring everyone. So here's what we know. The virus is typically not spread outdoors. So all of the fear-mongering over people going to the beach or people congregating outside restaurants, we don't really have any data showing that's where the virus is spreading. Now, when you're in close proximity outside, like at the protest, yes, When you've got a bunch of people shoulder to shoulder without masks on outside, yes, you can spread the virus. But when you're all with your family unit sitting on the beach or at the pool, you're probably not. It's when you're inside in areas that don't have great ventilation. And this is something school systems need to pay attention to. Believe it or not, there are school systems out there still that don't have air conditioning. And North Georgia still has some of these schools that exist without air conditioning. So your kids are going to be in rooms where you're going to have limited airflow. Those are where you're going to have super spreader events. If you're going into bars and restaurants and nightclubs and schools where the air is not moving, you're going to get people sick with this virus. But if you have good air conditioning systems, good intake and good outtake, good outflow, you're going to be minimizing it. If your kids are wearing masks, you're going to be minimizing it. Now, here's the thing, again, on the mask issue is 
the healthy people who wear a mask and the sick people who don't, the healthy people are going to get the virus. You know, the staff here at this at this place at Lake Burton got the virus because if a healthy person wears a mask and a sick person does not wear a mask, then the healthy person is still going to get the virus. The issue is who is the sick person, and we don't know who the sick person is because at the time the sick person is contagious, they don't have symptoms. And so we, if you presume everybody has a symptom and wears a mask, then the sick people and the healthy people are going to minimize the spread. But when you get into elementary schools, you're not going to – I'm sorry – I realize there are people saying, my first grader is so well-disciplined, he can wear a mask all day long. We've been training with the nanny. Y'all, you're not going to get a first-year-old to wear a mask. Yeah, a first-year-old, first grader. I'm sorry. My brain is broken this morning. <laughs> I hadn't had my coffee. It was chunky. Um, you're not going to get a second and third grader to wear a mask. Sure, there will be isolated instances of kids with so much discipline. Their parents have scared the bejesus out of them. If you don't do this, little Johnny, mommy's going to die. They're going to keep their mask on all day. But by and large, they're not. And don't worry about it. Uh, Have small class sizes. Keep them spread out. Don't put them in areas where stagnant airflow. Don't put them in in lunchrooms. Spend as much time as you possibly can outside. Take your classes outside. Do your classroom work outside. You'll be fine. There are ways to do this. Uh, and, and the media bellyaching over this, listen, here's the other thing that, that frustrates me about the COVID-19 coverage around the country is we are a nation where the president of the United States has extremely limited domestic power to act. And if you read the headlines, if you follow the stories, by and large, what you see is a universal condemnation of President Trump's failure to take on the virus. There's not a whole lot the president can do. He cannot, for example, impose a nationwide mask mandate. The president cannot impose shutting of businesses nationwide. He just can't do it. Um, it, it is it's 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 it, it's unfortunate that we have a bunch of people out there who have decided that uh, they need to beat the president and hold him accountable in ways that the moment Joe Biden becomes president, they're not even going to have conversations about a national mass mandate because even Joe Biden has said he doesn't have the power as president to do it. Now, Joe Biden has said he wished he could, and if he was president, he would urge it, but he can't actually impose a national mask mandate. And yet the media running against Donald Trump, running the campaign for Joe Biden, would have you believe the president can do all the stuff the president can't do. He can't. We are 50 semi-sovereign entities, these states, and these states have governors, and those governors can do things uh, that they want to do or not. It's not up to the president. And then in each of those states, we have different factors for the virus. In fact, you know, if you don't believe me, let me I'm going to go to the New York Times real quick. I told myself we weren't going to discuss the virus today, and here we are. Here's the chart for the new for, for, for the United States. Uh, the, the cases are declining day by day. The cases are declining. We have a 7% decrease from the average two weeks ago. We have a two or three, two and a half percent decrease from last week. Here are the states where new cases are increasing. Last week, it was the majority of states. Uh, this week, it's not. It is Mississippi, although Mississippi is just about to trend out. Oklahoma, Missouri, Alaska, Maryland, Nebraska, Puerto Rico, New Mexico, or Minnesota, uh, Illinois, Rhode Island, Washington, D.C., South Dakota, Wyoming, Massachusetts, Hawaii, New Jersey, and New Hampshire. Notice they put Puerto Rico in the New York Times as a state. Hmm. 
Here are where cases are mostly the same. Let me give you this list. Louisiana, Alabama, Nevada, Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, California, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Iowa, North Dakota, Kentucky, New Mexico, Kansas, Virginia, Indiana, Montana, Ohio, Washington, Delaware, Colorado, Oregon, Michigan, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, Guam, Maine, and Vermont. And here are the cases decreasing. Florida, Arizona, South Carolina, Texas, Idaho, Utah, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Now, notice Florida, Arizona, South Carolina, Texas, two weeks ago, everyone was buzzing about, oh, everybody's going to die. No, they're trending in the right direction now. They're, they're trending in the right direction. They have been trending in the right direction. And as a matter of fact, they're on the downward slope. And states like, for example, Louisiana and Alabama and, and Nevada, they're on the downward slope now. Georgia is on the downward slope as well. And so they will soon be in places where cases are decreasing. Now, the question is, um, do they then rebound when kids go back to school? There, there's, there are some people who say that actually, no, it looks like we may be over, over the hump. You know, there, there are actually some scientists who have come out now and said, you know, there's actually some data shaping up that uh, when this virus gets to about 20% spread in the community, it starts to go away. It's not 40, it's not 80, it's 20%. And some of these places have reached 20%. And it's starting to go away. And maybe those scientists are right. Who knows? Maybe kids go back to school and everybody gets spread. What's going to happen for sure, and this is really the key here, is that we all have a role to play. To wear a mask, to wash our hands, even if we think it's no big deal ourselves, to do it for our neighbor who may be vulnerable or at risk, medically fragile, or just to put people's mind at ease. We all got a role to play. But what the media tends to be doing now is to play up the fear and not the progress. The media tends to be playing at the bad news at the expense of the good. And the media tends to be exaggerating case spread in areas where there is no case spread and downplaying it in places the media likes. The The, the people in the media who reported it, they like their fancy restaurants in New York City, so they refuse to acknowledge that the virus may be spreading there. But they certainly hate Florida, and so they want you to know if you go to the beach in Florida, you're going to get the virus. It's almost enough to make people think maybe this isn't really the big deal that it is, and maybe the media is playing people. And you can't really blame people for seeing the packed house at John Lewis's funeral, knowing they can't have a funeral for their loved one, and think, you know what, screw this, I'm going to go do my own thing. They're kind of justified at this point. Can I just comment very randomly? This is your random story of the day as I'm, I'm surfing the internet during commercial break. So Marathon Petroleum is going to sell its Speedway gas stations. First of all, I didn't know that Marathon, I know you've got Marathon gas stations. I didn't know they owned Speedway gas stations as well. Well, Speedway is going to buy, uh, it get bought by 7-Eleven. It's a $21 billion deal, the all-cash transaction between Marathon and, and who knew that that 7-Eleven is now controlled by a Japanese company? It's going to close in 2021 pending regulatory approval uh, the deal will also see Marathon provide at least 7.7 billion gallons of fuel to 7-Eleven for each of the next 15 years. Wow. Uh, so 7-Eleven has 9,800 stores globally. They're going to add 3,900 Speedway convenience stores. Now, I only bring this up because we had a, um, what was it, a, a Flash Foods up the street from me. And it's been bought, Flash Foods has been bought by Circle K. And it's just, it's astonishing to me that the brands uh, from the 1980s, 
are starting to be resurgent again to some degree. Like 7-Eleven during the 1980s, early 90s was a big deal. And so was Circle K. There were Circle Ks everywhere. There were 7-Elevens everywhere. And then they kind of went by the wayside. And now it seems like they're making a comeback. Uh, you know, all, all of these old brands. You, you know one brand that's not doing good? Uh, J. Crew. J. Crew is is when I was in college, every college kid that I can think of uh, owned something from J. Crew. In fact, I actually one time that they had this, they had a shirt I really liked. You always got you always got the catalog. Yeah, I mean you didn't even subscribe. This was the genius of J. Crew at the time. They were trying to distinguish themselves from Abercrombie and Fitch, which basically went softcore porn, and J. Crew went preppy. And would send everybody a catalog. I, I, I was at Mercer at the time, and I would occasionally have to go deliver stuff in, and put it in people's mailboxes. And everybody had a J. Crew catalog. I got a J. Crew. I never subscribed to J. Crew. I never bought anything. And everybody had a J. Crew catalog. And you, you just the the J. Crew preppy look. And then Michelle Obama came along, and she wore J. Crew and made it even bigger. And now it's gone bankrupt. And talk about the overextension of stuff um, and the diversification of stuff. And then whatever happened to Abercrombie and Fitch? I guess kids still wear it these days, but for the longest time, they they had the the hedonistic reputation. Uh, I made the mistake of getting their catalog one time and, and felt like I was getting softcore pornography. Um, it, it just it, it, the, the branding for some of these clothing companies from the 90s and into the early 2000s just don't hold up well. Stuff going bankrupt, but maybe they will. Maybe J. Crew will rebound with nostalgia. So, so um, they'll. My kids will start buying J. Crew by the time they get to college. I guess maybe if they're around that long, they've been around since 1947. J. Crew. I had no idea, but then you've got the gas stations now. So, Flash Foods is suddenly Circle K. Your racetrack or your uh, Speedway gas stations will be now Seven Eleven. And I guess the racetrack gas stations will get bought by somebody. Meanwhile, you, you've got the the Quick Trip. I'm a big fan of Quick Trip. We, I think we're getting one in Middle Georgia. And then there's a Bucky's. If you've never been to a Bucky's, Bucky's is a Texas chain. And Bucky's is the most impressive. Now, listen, I realize those of you who are listening to the Northeast, you're, you're big into what is it, Wawa? Nobody wants to go to Wawa. Wawa is what you flush down the toilet. Uh, you, you go to Bucky's, which is a giant Texas gas station chain, and they're incredible with some of the best foods you'll ever eat. And they're opening one in Middle Georgia. And I'm sure you wanted to know all about my gas stations. But a quick trip, I'm telling you, the people who came up with the quick trip idea are geniuses. That's a good gas station. When we come back, we must move on to more substantive things, including the presidential polling that's out there and the Black Lives Matters protesters shaking down businesses like the mob. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here, and you can be a part of the program if you want. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Let's talk. Well, hang on a second. I, I got to find the audio here. This is this is a bad radio show host moment here. I should have done this during the break, but I wasn't going to talk about it until right when <laughs> right when I decided, hey, you know what? I should I should play this audio. Where is it now? Um, so, you know, we're we're we increasingly have the go woke moments in sports these days. And it's rather disturbing now to see. Re- remember, it used to be that if you wanted to take a knee, take a knee. Those of us who didn't like it, uh, we were just bigots and racists, uh, we were told, for not wanting it. Um, uh, but nowadays, at this moment, if you don't 
take a knee, you are somehow a bigot. Uh, it, it used to be a, a totally voluntary thing. And now you've got to take a knee or else, which is just remarkably disturbing from my vantage point uh, that it used to be something that if you if you wanted to take a knee, take a knee. If you didn't want to take a knee, don't take a knee. But now if you don't take a knee, you're a bigot and a racist. How quickly that changed. Everybody talking about bending the knee. Well, Jonathan Isaac was the first NBA player who decided not to uh, bend the knee. And I want to let you listen to what he had to say. Absolutely. I believe that Black Lives Matter. Um, a, lot, a lot went into my decision. And, and part of it is, first off, um, is it, my thought that, you know, kneeling or wearing a Black Lives Matter T-shirt um, don't go hand in hand with supporting Black Lives. And so um, I felt like just me personally um, and what it is that I believe in standing on a stance that um, I do believe that Black Lives Matter, but I... I just felt like it was the decision that I had to make, and, and I, I didn't, um, you know, feel like putting putting that shirt on and, and kneeling uh, went hand in hand with um, supporting Black Lives, or that it, it made me support Black Lives or not. I believe that uh, for myself, my, my my life has been supported um, through the gospel, Jesus Christ, and, and that everyone is made in the image of God, and that we all fall short of God's glory, and that uh, you know each and every one of us, each and every day, do things that we shouldn't do. We say things that we shouldn't say. We hate and we, we dislike people that we shouldn't hate and dislike. Um, and, and sometimes it gets into a point where we point fingers about whose evil is worse. And, and sometimes that comes down to simply whose evil is, is most visible. So um, I felt like I wanted to just take a stand on it. I feel like we all make mistakes, but I think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there's grace for us and that Jesus came and died for our sins and that if we all We'll come to an understanding of that and understand that God wants to have a relationship with us. Um, that we can get past skin color, we can get past all the things in our world that are messed up, jacked up. Um, I think when you look around, racism isn't the only thing that, that, that plagues our society, um, that plagues our nation, that plagues our world. And I feel like, you know, coming together on that message that we want to get past not only racism, but everything that that, 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 that plagues us as a society, I feel like the answer to it is, is the gospel. Wow. You're not hearing that circulate too much. Um, well, because, you know, the media abhors sharing the gospel message. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, he's not a huge NBA star. Uh, and it's, it's several people have pointed that out belittling of him that now you're never going to become a big NBA star because uh, you won't be, the, which, which is uh, unfortunate that people would go there. It is worth noting that one of the things he said is anathema to the Black Lives Matter crowd. And it's what's getting him in trouble today that we need to see beyond race. In fact, on the left now, you you are explicitly required to see race. Have you seen the video of the uh, of the the woke guy? There, I've gotten it from so many of you. I I assume you've seen it. Uh, the 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 it's the the woke guy and the racist guy, and they're they're having a discussion, and it's how very much like the woke and the racist guy are. Uh, both see things in terms of race. The 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 racist or the woke guy believes there's white privilege, and the racist guy believes it's a privilege being white. 
the the woke guy thinks that we need to have uh, separate uh, comedy hours and and comedy bits for minorities, and uh, the white guy totally agrees that they should be uh, discriminated against and segregated off by themselves, so that nobody else has to see them. The 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 woke guy believes that uh, we should we should prop up and recognize that um, being black or being being Hispanic in this country is treated as inferior. And the white guy, the racist absolutely agrees. The, the woke guy believes that you should not engage in interracial dating, that it just means you are somehow demeaning the other side. The, the white guy, the racist totally agrees. And then they both agree that um, Jewish people are, are not white people. It is, it's actually, it was very, very funny. It was very well done. Uh, and it's very true. The, the white guy and the racist guy tend to have a lot in common. And right now it is all about defining everyone as their race. And so for Jonathan Isaac to come out and say, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us transcend race. You actually have people out there attacking him now for saying that, and that that's why it's bad and that's why it's wrong. And that this is, this is upsetting and appalling because if Jesus Christ wants us to see beyond race, then Jesus himself must in some way be bad. Uh, it, it's just, this is where we are as a society, folks, that uh, th- that Christianity, which wants you to see beyond race, must be bad because we should not see beyond race. The woke and the racist do agree on this. Speaking of, uh, so I went down the rabbit hole unintentionally this weekend. A pastor, a internet friend of mine, we don't know each other in person. We, we interact regularly on social media. Uh, he was noting that he preached on the curse of Cain this weekend and that uh, he was actually kind of stunned by the reaction uh, to it. And it just, it, it may be real. What, what are, what are people, what are you people learning in church? Uh, for those of you who can go to church, because some of us hadn't been in quite a while with this, this pandemic raging, uh, but even online and stuff. Now, now what, what am I getting at here? Um, let me fast forward you to, you know, the story of Cain and Abel in uh, Genesis 4. Uh, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Remember, Cain and Abel, they both gave sacrifices. God chose Abel's sacrifice. Cain got jealous, uh, so Cain kills Abel. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Uh, God said, uh, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said, Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and, and your face I shall from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Believe it or not, there are people on this planet who believe that the mark of Cain is a thing. And that that thing is blackness. That if you are black, you have the mark of Cain. This is what racists used as as one way to justify slavery. 
uh, that these people were the mark of Cain. They were to wander the earth and, and work the fields and and be punished for killing Abel. And racists use this. They, they've used the curse of Ham, I believe it was, from, from Noah, but they've also used the mark of Cain, that somehow being black. And when I was a kid, I heard this, uh, the mark of Cain. Uh, and, and the reason I bring this up is, is last week we were stuck on Demon Sperm Lady and, and the Nephilim. Uh, the Nephilim are, are running around sleeping with women in the in the astral plane, getting them pregnant, causing miscarriages. I, I had no idea people believed any of this stuff. And yet suddenly today I'm seeing people who are so em- emotionally invested in defending Demon Sperm Woman that they're willing to sacrifice correct theology in order to justify what she said. Apparently, there are now people because of this woman's beliefs that were exposed last week who are willing to say, oh, yeah, the Nephilim, they're, they're still around. I mean, the Bible actually says in, in, in Genesis 6 uh, that, that the, the Nephilim, they, they were, let me, let me get the right, right words. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. And if it said also afterwards, it clearly means they survived the flood. No, it doesn't, you idiots. No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. I, yes, I'm calling people idiots because because you, you you go to church and you've missed you've missed the big ticket item. Let me explain this thing to you. There's this thing called a flood. There was this man called Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And. All the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And so God said to Noah to make a boat. And Noah worked on this boat for years. And everyone thought Noah was crazy for working on this boat. I mean, like 100 years, I think it was, Noah. Noah spent a lot of time building this giant boat. And here's what God said. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die except for the fish in the sea. And I will establish my covenant with you. Now, I I, I say this because Noah and his family, they got on the boat and it began to rain. And the waters from under the earth and the water from above the earth, they, they all merged together. And the whole world was flooded and every living thing on planet earth, except for the fish in the sea, died. The Garden of Eden itself was wiped out, destroyed, finished, vanquished, ruined, gone. The Nephilim themselves, the men of renown, they drowned. They were dead. God killed everything. And so... How could the Nephilim survive after the flood? How could the mark of Cain continue after the flood? Because the Bible is very clear in Noah's lineage. Noah's family comes from the line of Seth, not from Cain. So the mark of Cain couldn't flow to Noah and his family because they did not possess it, because they came from a different line of children from Adam and Eve. And so the mark of Cain could not continue, nor could the Nephilim continue, if you believe that God is sovereign and he actually did what he said he did in Genesis 6 and 7. He wiped out the entire earth in a flood. You can't actually believe this stuff continued. If you do believe this stuff continues, then what you're believing is that the Bible is wrong. Or maybe you've, you subscribe to, to the, the uh, secular worldview. Well, there was a flood. It's, it's argued in the 
Gilgamesh, there was a flood, but it was a regional flood and not everything died. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And so if if there's going, if you're going to do this, you, you, you need to be able to do this. If you're going to be able to interpret, you, you need to be able to interpret. It, it, it's like, for example, it's like, for example, th- there are people I know who believe that you can't actually leave the earth because the universe is filled up with water. Because, you know, in, in Genesis 1, it says, that, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it be separated from the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse of the waters and above the waters, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning. And, and actually what it is is, is there was sky, but people interpret that as as heavens, and they interpret that there must be water up there. So, for example, um, I, I am aware of a, a kid who believes that the astronauts couldn't actually get into space because the Bible says that, well, there, there's an expanse of water up there. That's actually a misreading of the Hebrew. People, they, 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 they come to this, you know, here, here's the stunning thing. Um, believe it or not, the Bible's been around for thousands of years, the New Testament for 2,000 years, and, and you should read it yourself and try to understand it, but you should not think, hmm, God's only speaking to me as opposed to the millions of other people, some of whom are very well learned and could read it in the original Hebrew and Greek and could write uh, massive commentaries on what it actually meant, and you can find consistent orthodoxy over thousands of years as opposed to just reading it yourself and saying, hmm, the Genesis 6 is the Nephilim were around thereafter they must have somehow survived the flood the mark of Cain must have continued no people no there's actually a way to read this stuff that actually makes coherent sense but everybody wants to pull their own biases into it it's kind of like what the media is doing with all the scientific research on COVID-19 let's just pull our own biases into it and pull stuff out of our backside and scare people or come up with nonsense it's all getting rather annoying Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 in Louisville, Kentucky. This this is just so mafia-like. The Cuban community in Louisville is rallying at New Lou Restaurant in response to Black Lives Matter's demands. So get, get this, this is from the Courier-Journal. Members of Louisville's, notice I'm saying it properly, it's not Louisville, it's Louisville, Louisville. It's like all those, all you people who who go to New Orleans and you, now Nolans, nobody in New Orleans actually says Nolans. It's all you tourists who say it. Those of us from the area actually say New Orleans or New Orleans. Um, Nolans is 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 tourist slang. It's like let's go to Louisville. No, it's it's Louisville. Members of Louisville's Cuban community plan to gather Sunday in support of a Nulu restaurant owner who says he was threatened by Black Lives Matter protesters during a recent demonstration. Fernando Martinez, a partner of the Ole Restaurant Group, was one of dozens of business owners in the downtown Louisville district who recently received a letter from protesters laying out demands that aim to improve diversity in the area, which is known for its locally owned shops and restaurants. Martinez has publicly denounced the demands on Facebook, calling them mafia tactics used to intimidate business owners. On Thursday, protesters confronted him outside his newest restaurant, La Bodeguita de Mima, on on East Market Street. There comes a time in life you have to make a stand and you have to really prove your convictions and what you believe in. All good people need to denounce this. How can you justify injustice with more injustice? According to a press release, members of the Cuban community will will meet to defend him. Uh, the release states that the restaurant was forced to close July 24th during a demonstration 
at which several protesters demanded uh, that he better put the letter on the door so your business isn't messed with. They use the F word. The B, uh, you've got to put BLM on your door or else. On Thursday, a small group of protesters returned to the restaurant after seeing Martinez's post about their demands. While there, one protester smashed a flower pot. The rest smoke with Martinez about why demands are needed. The demands and an attached contract created by local organizers and activists asked the business owners to adequately represent the black population of Louisville by having a minimum of 23% black staff, purchase a minimum of 23% inventory from black retailers, or make a recurring monthly donation of 1.5% of net sales to local black nonprofits or organizations, require diversity and inclusion training for all staff members on a biannual basis, and display a visible sign that increases awareness and so shows support for reparations. It is a shakedown. That's what they're doing, a shakedown. And this business said no. And so they came back and threatened them. You know, this this is what the Nazis, I thought these people were anti-fascists. This is what the fascists did in World War II. You had to have signs in your door saying no Jews allowed and, and, and you support Hitler's programs or else they're coming for you. This is what the mafia does. You got to pay the mafia money and, and they'll keep people from coming into your restaurant. But if you don't pay the mafia, the mafia itself will come in and burn down your restaurant. This is nothing more than a shakedown. Several businesses volunteered to sign the contract and to open discussing their roles in the gentrification of the area. Felix Crittenden, an activist who works with Black Lives Matter Louisville, said the demands and related Nulu social justice health and wellness ratings were not meant to be a threat, but intended to start a conversation. Really? It's <laughs> when Big Lou from the mob shows up and said, this is this is your your mafia health and and well-being score. If if you don't do these things, you're going to have no health and no well-being. I mean that that's essentially what's going on here. This is a, and notice that most of the national media is kept quiet on this. I mean you you've got these. Here's a problem. You can tell it's starting to have an impact in the polling. If you keep an ear to the ground, I was actually talking to a member of the Senate, uh, the U.S. Senate, over the weekend. Uh, who was pointing out something he's starting to notice out there in the conversations among Democrats. Uh, These BLM activists are handing the election to Donald Trump. I'll tell you how when we come back. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The full number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones in Macon. Mike is calling. Mike, how are you? Hey Eric, how you doing? Great. What's going on? I just on? called in. Well, I just called in because I'm so disgusted by what's happening with the anthem and pro sport. I played pro hockey for ten years. I've stood for over well over a thousand anthems. Um, I'm actually born Canadian, and uh, you know, um, played hockey with Russians and Finns and Swedes and lots of Americans, and we stood proudly at every game. And how these guys started this and are allowing this, in my day, you'd be in a fight. And I played for Herb Brooks. You know, I played for Miracle Herb. And uh, Herb gave a speech once in the dressing room about how important it was to stand 
and not only just to stand, but to stand and be still and be quiet because it was respect. And you did it for all anthems. And he told, he told us very clearly, if you couldn't do that, you were out, you were gone. And so wow. do we now have to cancel the miracle on ice. Like, is that, do we have to go back and say, well, you know, her, her Brooks, you know, I know it was according to sports illustrated, the greatest uh, sporting event of the 20th century. Do we, do we cancel that now? That's a good point. But and, you know, I, I, I've heard from more more than a handful of people that uh, the hockey players are the ones who refused to take or wouldn't take knees uh, during the anthem. They all stood. It, it's the baseball and the basketball players who decided to turn it into a thing. I, I still, uh, you know, there, there's this movement among the press now that if you're opposed to it, you must be a, you must be a bigot if you don't want these people kneeling, if you don't understand. I still find it disrespectful. Um, I, I completely find it disrespectful to the, the people who are uh, fighting and dying to keep us safe, to the people on the front lines who are who are fighting to build a more perfect union for these people to take a knee. And, and now not only to take a knee, but to bully you if you don't take a knee. It, it went from being optional and how can you not understand to if you don't do it with them. It, it, the entire shakedown of this stuff, it, it is a cult-like movement. And Mike, look, I appreciate your phone call, and thank you for standing. I, I'm, I, I've got to fire my call screener who apparently let a Canadian on. <laughs> I kid because I care. I thought we had that Canadian block on. But, hey, I, I guess a, a, a guy like that we, we would allow on regardless of, of being Canadian. He stuck around. He's, he's here in middle Georgia, so clearly one of us, eh? <laughs> I want to go back to Canada. You know, I honeymooned in Canada. Uh, Banff, uh, the, the most beautiful place on the planet is Banff in Canada. That and Lake Louise, that, that area up there, absolutely gorgeous. Um, don't go because you'll ruin it, um, but I want to go back. Now, I want to return to the story. It's it very much related to Mike's phone call, by the way. The the taking the knee stuff. It, it used to be that you should understand why they want to take a knee and you don't have to take the knee, but they want to take the knee and it's, it's in protest. And, you know, let's be really honest here. Kaepernick uh, revised multiple times why he was taking the knee. And finally it was about racial injustice in this country. It wasn't first about the flag in the country. It was just about police brutality and protest and, 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 and on and on. And, and ultimately it is about this country and uh, the left making Kaepernick a hero and all of this stuff. And now if you don't take the knee, you're a racist. Don't ever bend the knee. To the mob. Well, the, the the mob has become the Black Lives Matters crowd. In, in Louisville, Kentucky, if you're just tuning in, uh, they've gone through part of Louisville. They call it the Nulu area. It is a an area of downtown uh, restaurants, really nice uh, area of Louisville. Some have attacked as becoming gentrified. And the Black Lives Matters activists, they sit around demands that in their words, they were calling it the social justice health and wellness rating, and they wanted to start a conversation. That's all they wanted to do was start a conversation. Let me let me read you their demands. Adequately represent the black population of Louisville by having a minimum of 23% black staff, purchase a minimum of 23% inventory from black retailers, or make a recurring monthly donation of 1.5% of net sales to a local black nonprofit organization, require diversity and inclusion training for all staff members on a biannual basis, and display a visible sign that increases awareness and shows support for the reparations movement. That's what you're supposed to do or else. As one of the business owners said when he got vocal about what they were doing and said, no, a mob showed up, 
One of them smashed a planner while the others were threatening and cajoling him. Uh, wow. Um, we, we, we got problems here. The, the shakedown of these people, uh, of these businesses uh, by Black Lives Matter protesters, it's not an isolated incident in Louisville, you should know. This is happening around the country. And interestingly enough, I noticed something over the weekend. You're starting to have Democrats on television start denouncing the violence. Over the weekend... You had Democratic strategists and pundits on the Sunday shows start denouncing the violence and say it's wrong. They haven't done this for several weeks. As all of this wasn't ramping up, remember it was isolated incidents, it was exaggerated by the media, it was over-exaggerated by Donald Trump, and now suddenly they're denouncing the violence. I'm guessing it's starting to show up in polling as a concern. In fact, I know it is because I've seen polling from suburbs of suburban voters in swing states who are starting to get a little bit concerned about what's happening in Portland and elsewhere. They're starting to get a little bit concerned about the mobs roaming the streets. They're starting to get a little bit concerned about the Democrats not not uh, denouncing it and and not taking up for law-abiding citizens. And we're, we're at the point now where you've got people openly suggesting that there are going to be riots in the street. They're going to burn down America if Donald Trump wins re-election. And you know what? Suburban voters don't particularly like that attitude. If they got to suck it up with Donald Trump, and they don't like him, then you got to suck it up too if he wins re-election. Bullying suburban voters isn't a good thing, but the mob has been incited by left-wing politicians and the media that has given them a complete pass to do this sort of stuff, and they've amplified it. They, they, they've, they've, they're, they're going up in it. It's not enough now to support their right to take a knee. You've got to take a knee as well. It, it's not enough to support Black Lives Matters now. You've got to contribute. You've got to support reparations, and if you don't support reparations, you're a bad racist bully and bigot. I'm sorry, but when you ask the four oh when you ask the the suburban middle class to give up their four oh one k for your cause, they're not going to like you. When you ask them to give up their favorite restaurant to your cause, they're not going to like you. When when they, you shake them down and make them care, they're not going to like you. When you come after them and their families, they're not going to like you, and that increasingly is happening. The fact that Democrats are finally having to go out there and say uh, this is a problem and we need to say something about it suggests that it is showing up in the polling and it suggests they know it is a bit of a problem. The the demand to bend the knee when the flag is flown and the anthem is sung is not really helping the cause of the left right now. Most Americans still support the flag in the country. And bullying people into it, uh, into taking the knee or shaking down a business really isn't the way to get them on board your agenda. Jared Stepman uh, at the Daily Signal has a very interesting piece on all, a piece on all this and wokeness. Wokeness, he writes, has become the, the nomenclature for the ideology or mentality of radical leftist activists on college campuses at protests and on social media. Wokeness has not been limited to just a handful of activists. It's becoming a dominant mindset in the American workplace in both the public and private sectors as a method to promote anti-racism. That's the other thing. You can't just be against racism. Uh, you've got to actively engage and do something. And remember a while back it was shut up and listen and all of us shut up and listen. And now it's all these white people lecturing us on how to do stuff. 
It's like they, they wanted us to shut up and listen to black people. And before the black people start talking, they started talking. And now we're not allowed to do anything but listen to them. Uh, shut up, white people. I don't need to hear from you on how to appreciate black culture. Wokeness has not been limited to a handful of activists. It's become the dominant mindset in the American workplace to fight anti-racism. A Heritage Foundation panel on July 24th addressed first what wokeness actually is, but also how it crept into corporate boardrooms and why it's such a problem. Angela Saylor, vice president of the Fulner Institute of the Heritage Foundation, said that pervasive trends under the guise of equality makes diversity training in government, corporate Americas, and schools destructive, divisive, and harmful. James Lindsay is the co-author of a forthcoming book, Cynical Theories, How Activist Scholarship Makes Everything About Race, Gender, and Identity and Why It's Harmful to Everyone. He says, wokeness is a fusion of the critical theory school of neo-Marxism, which is a form of identity politics and radical activism that has a very peculiar worldview that separates the world into liberationists versus oppressors or the oppressed versus oppressors. It marries that with postmodern theory, which holds that all applications of truth are actually applications of politics by other means. In other words, the truth is malleable based on power and who drives the narrative of what really is. In effect, the truth is replaced by my truth. Marxism is a mostly economic theory that originated in the 19th century. Those ideas led to some of the worst atrocities in world history. Traditional Marxist ideas were adopted but changed in the 1920s by Italian communist Antonio Gramsci and others and became the project of the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. That new theory focused more on shaping culture. Marrying traditional Marxism with Freudian psychology and other social theories to change the way people think. The goal of postmodernists who were part of that movement was to deconstruct the very meaning of things. Those ideas reached a new phase with the writings of Herbert Marcus, a Columbia University professor in the 1960s and 70s who advocated radical activism based on identity politics. But this radicalism burned out because its violence ultimately made it unpopular. The radicals then left the streets and embedded themselves in schools and universities. It has all the conflict theory, separate the, separate the world into oppressor versus oppressed with zero-sum conflicts, no ability to agree or understand one another across those, and then takes on the postmodern understanding of truth being just politics by other means, which removes all the breaks. And my buddy Mike Gonzalez, who works at the Heritage Foundation, has a book coming out, The Plot to Change America. And he writes, anti-racism training is a con. These consultants get paid exorbitant amount of money. Often these fees come from taxpayer funds. Though many of the advocates of wokeness are con artists, we got to take them seriously because there is an ideological component to you. Now, let, let me let me, let me me explain to you the, the whole idea of intersectionalism and critical race theory. You know, the Southern Baptists are having a big fight over, over critical race theory um, and, and whether or not it can be used to interpret the Bible. Uh, they never should have engaged it. It was a mistake for them to do so, uh, but they have, and now it's tearing them apart. Uh, let me just read you the Wikipedia definition of critical race theory here. It's a theoretical framework of the social sciences developed out of epistemic philosophy. Uses critical theory to examine society and culture as they relate to categories, categorizations of race, law, and, and power. It began as a theoretical movement within American law schools in the mid to late 80s as a reworking of critical legal studies on race issues and is loosely unified by two common themes. First, critical race theory 
proposes that white supremacy and racial power are maintained over time and in particular that the law may play a role in the process. Second, critical race theory work has investigated the possibility of transforming the relationship between law and racial power as well as pursuing a product of achieving racial emancipation and anti-subordination. Now, if that's not all gobbledygook sounding for you, here's critical theory. It is a social philosophy pertaining to the reflective assessment and critique of society and culture in order to reveal and challenge power structures. With origins in sociology as well as literary criticism, it argues that social problems are influenced and created more by societal structures and cultural assumptions than by individuals. It is essentially derived from Marxism. Critical theorists embraced the idea of culture clash and class-based society. Uh, individuals are just pawns in the greater class and, and cultural uh, societal struggles. Critical race theory amplifies that. It is Marxist ideology. And so within the Southern Baptist Convention, you had those who pursued critical race theory as a way to interpret the Bible, seeing it through a racial lens, uh, when they never should have gone down that road. And many of them had very good intentions and really didn't understand what they were grappling with. And, and now they've caused sorts of problems within the Southern Baptist Convention. You want to avoid critical race theory, but it is dominant in so much of how we see the world these days. It is dominant in so many people's worldview these days that essentially uh, our society is founded, you, you hear this in the 1619 Project, our society is founded in white supremacy, and so everything in our structure was done uh, to prop up white people. Never mind, yes, it was white people who did it, but they were not seeing it through through whiteness. And But the problem is, according to the critical race theory people, it doesn't matter that you can't see the whiteness in it because it was all white people. It was white people-centric, and because it was white people-centric, it precludes black people. That's that's their thinking. It's insane thinking, but it sounds good on the surface until you, you, you dig down into it. Because ultimately what it's about is you, is you can't get real truth here. Now listen, I, I've said this before, and I need to say this again. I'm a Christian. I believe that God is truth, and therefore, if I believe God is truth, I have a commitment to that truth. Not my truth, not your truth, but to the truth, and the truth is that there is a God, and he will return, and he will judge the living and the dead. And if you're on Team God, you get eternity with them, and if you're not, well, you get eternity, but let's just say it's not Bibles that are going to be burned. And these Marxist ideologies like critical theory, critical race theory, are premised on the idea that you cannot know real truth. And I reject that, and if you're a thinking person, you should reject that. And increasingly, we are a society not of thinking people, but emotional people driven by emotions. And when you get driven by emotions, you can really believe that white people can't actually understand that their whiteness gives them advantages. Or, or that society is structured by white people. You know, Fordham University has decided they're going to abandon grammar standards now because grammar props up white supremacy. I kid you not. Having good grammar is apparently a, a, a means of propping up white society. Really what this is are a bunch of lazy people who don't want to not be lazy and they want to give themselves a pass on not doing better. We have lowered the standards to the common, lowest common denominator so that people who are literally ignorant and do not understand good grammar and, and, and good speech and writing and skills can now be said to be passing all of these classes because to fail them would be to prop up white supremacy. No, 
It would actually be to prop up the English language, uh, which all of us can benefit from learning. And there's a level of, of paternalism in all of this that the good white professors are going to decide that, you know, the black kid just can't do better. So we're going to, to dumb it down for him as opposed to calling on people to do better. There is a level of white paternalism. They can't even see the racism in what they're doing. They want the rest of us to be mindful of racism in our lives when they're the paternalists who actually think that these kids can't do better than that. They don't even want to make them try. Well, it's too late for you to call me, so I'm not even going to worry about the number. Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein, we we need to discuss this for a moment. It is, you know, ask yourself if George W. Bush or Donald Trump uh, was regularly seen cavorting on Jeffrey Epstein's Orgy Island. What would the media headlines be? Now, I throw George W. Bush in there because I, I do believe that if there was a um, if if there was a Republican president involved, you would have major headlines about it. Uh, that that a purported um, child trafficker was hanging out with a Republican president. But this is Bill Clinton. And the media, of course, that they're 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 saying, oh well, we're we're just, you know, we're we're moving on. Bill Clinton's old news. No, I, I I gotta think if it was a Republican, the media would be deeply interested that Bill Clinton was who we always said he was. You know, for those of us who actually still think that character counts, and, and that was our big argument in 2016, uh, we've always pointed to Bill Clinton as as a, a, a proof that character actually does count. And uh, there are very clear patterns that Bill Clinton was regularly engaged with Jeffrey Epstein, regularly seen with Jeffrey Epstein, and, and off to Jeffrey Epstein's island. And on Jeffrey Epstein's plane, lots of plane trips with Jeffrey Epstein, and the media has largely given the man a pass. And I don't know that they should, and there are certainly questions there. Um, it just, just gen- genuinely, just bizarre, um, and and just, just wow. Um, so here we are, uh, a media that if this was Donald Trump would savage him, but because it's a Democratic president, will not. Is it any wonder that? more so many americans just can't treat this treat the media honestly these days is is it any wonder that the media is is so biased these days and so fractured that you can't get anything straight for we, we should be able and this goes back to the whole idea of truth and, and like critical theory that there actually is truth out there and there is real guidance for how we should proceed in the midst of a global pandemic but the media would have you believe you can't go to the beach. And if you go to the beach in a, in a southern red state, uh, you're bad. But if you go to the beach in New York, you're okay. The media would have you believe that as the daily death toll in New York continues to exceed that of Florida, that, that Florida is bad, but New York is good. That the, the media wants to pick winners and losers, and it has everything to do with who hates the president or not. You know, I was regularly on the Sunday shows until I said I would support the president in 2020, and suddenly the invitations just got lost in the mail. Actually, several several TV hits got canceled. 
haven't been back. Uh, the media does not want on t- television Trump supporters who are willing to be critical of the president. You've got to be all in or all against. You can't be someone with a nuanced opinion that says, yes, despite my concerns, I'm going to support him because look at the Democrats. No, you're not allowed to look at the Democrats anymore. You're not allowed to look at what's happening there. It's all bad on one side and all good on the other, according to the media. They are shaping the narrative. It's no wonder people do not believe them anymore. And their grip, their monopoly on the truth is collapsing around them as it should. It deserves to collapse.